So I was, I was working on um, these scriptures about the working of miracles, and uh, a keynote scripture was in, in John 14, and the Lord was speaking to me about what we believe. But before we get to that, I just want to share, you've, you've heard 2 Chronicles 16.9 before. Let's put that one up, Jody, 2 Chronicles 16.9. I want us to know that God is always on the move. He's always looking for ways he can help us. And sometimes when we don't see answered prayer, we think God doesn't love us. But this isn't true. This is an Old Testament scripture, and there's a New Testament scripture that runs sort of like this. I'll share in a second. But this says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. If you've confessed Jesus as Lord, your heart is loyal to him. And God is, is looking throughout the whole earth for people whose faith is rising up so he can do mighty works and miracles and show himself to them. And Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5. He says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. They shall see who God is, what God can do, what God wants to do for you, how much he loves you. So as we go into the message today, I don't want you to receive any condemnation about anything that is shared because this is who God is and this is his heart for us today, that he wants to show himself strong on our behalf. And he wants us to get to a point in our faith level that we can receive everything that we pray for, everything that we ask for, every command that we give in the spirit realm, that we can see God manifest his strength and power on our behalf. So that's where we're headed with this. And when we get to the end, hopefully... You've heard the word in your heart and your spirit, and you've been encouraged to just keep trying a little bit more. So let's start out then with John chapter 14. We're going to go through verses 1 through 14. And this first verse, let not your heart be troubled. We've all had troubled hearts at one time or another, haven't we? And so Jesus is speaking to us in this passage, and he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Okay, so now for a second here, we're going to see something that we probably don't talk about very often. Thomas is about to speak, and we've somehow in the church traditionally called him Doubting Thomas, right? But Philip also has some doubts here too. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. So now Philip pipes up. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe? And this is the key part the Holy Spirit was speaking to me these next couple verses. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sakes of the work themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, 
that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, most of us, we've read these scriptures, but when we go back up to verse 12 and Jesus says, the works that I do, greater works than this, you will do. How are we on that one? Uh, we're sort of like, uh, maybe not. Greater works than what I've been doing, you can do. Now, did Jesus just lie to us? Come on, did he just lie to us? Tell me no. He did not lie to us. His word is always truth. So that says there remains for us an opportunity to grow, an opportunity to express our trust in him, an opportunity to believe that the Holy Spirit, the Father who lives in him, that same Holy Spirit lives in us. So if Jesus said, the Father in me is doing the works and the miracles, what should we say? It's the Father in me through the Holy Spirit that's going to do the works and the miracles. Jesus did not tell us something that we were not able to do. In fact, if you read Mark 16, he says, and these signs shall follow those that believe in me. They shall do what? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. Right? I'm speaking truth to you. And I know we're just like, yeah, we haven't got here yet. But today I want to just share some things that hopefully will take us to a different level of faith and to really get us thinking about what we believe. Now, like Thomas, like Philip, uh, Lord, we don't know where you're going. We haven't seen the Father. We've all had these moments of spiritual blindness, right? Where we just didn't quite get what was going on. That's just our human nature that things have been drilled into us from the moment we were born. <laughs> when we come into God's kingdom, all of a sudden, we're no longer of this world, even though we were in the world. Before we met Jesus, we were in the world, we were of the world, we thought like the world, we did what the world expected us to do, we were indoctrinated from day one to believe the things that the world tells us. Well, who is the God of this world? The devil. And we know for sure he's a liar. So most of what we found to be, quote, truth, unquote, in the world was probably a lie. So when we come into the kingdom of God, we've got all these things to unlearn. We have to renew our minds. We have to start to think like God in order to do the things that God would want us to do. When we first come into the world, rather than believing that we have abundant life as Christ's children, the world teaches us we're always a day late and a dollar short. Right? That's what it teaches us. There's never enough. Instead of believing that we are wonderfully and fearfully made in the image of God, filled with his fullness and equipped with spiritual gifts, the world teaches us we are lacking, that we are incomplete. It encourages us to compare ourselves to one another. Well, if I could just be like them, then I would be happy or I would be successful. It's constantly pressuring us to gain love and approval but that's not what God's word says. The world tells us that we are powerless, ineffective, we are unfit in condemnation, and we're not even able to address the overwhelming needs of this world. But God's word tells us that the fervent prayers of a righteous man avail much, that we are seated at the right hand of God in heavenly places, that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. But from the moment we're born on this planet, we are indoctrinated with defeat and powerlessness. And there is no, world, no way out of this world system 
except through Jesus. Because we can't really expect the devil to come swooping in on a white horse delivering us from all the chaos of this world system because he created the chaos of this world system, correct? So the only way out is through Jesus to be translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. To be moved out from under the authority of the evil one into the glory and the power of God's kingdom. But when we're translated, when we confess Christ, our mind is not automatically renewed, is it? We constantly have to be looking at how we wash our mind and get rid of these negative thoughts because God has always had a plan for us. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, God says, I have a plan for you, for a hope, for a future. God only has good things in store for us. And to receive those good things, we got to stop thinking like the world. we got to start thinking more like God. You know, it's the work of religious spirits to tell us the very things that the devil fears about himself. The devil knows he's not God. He knows that he can't do miracles. He can't heal people. He can't provide things. You know, in the world, you don't get any blessings from the devil, do you? He can't give it to you because he has no power to do it. As the king of the kingdom of darkness, what you see in the world is what the leader of that kingdom can give. But conversely, in the kingdom of God, the blessings and the benefits that we see come from the leader of that kingdom, and he gives us everything that he can give. And he gives us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And God with his son withholds nothing. He gives us everything, all the things that are good and powerful. So as, as, we, as we consider these things, I find it so ironic that the devil who from the beginning of our life pounds us with all these negative thoughts of hopelessness and lack and despair and, you're, and he condemns us. I find it so ironic that when we get into the kingdom of God and we discover we have doubt and unbelief towards God on a certain topic, who's the one that's beating us up? The devil. The devil is the one that's pounding on you. He's saying, oh, look at you, look at you. You got doubt in your heart. That's not God bringing condemnation. Romans 8, chapter, uh, verses 1 and 2 tell us there's therefore now no condemnation in the Spirit, those that walk after the Spirit. So it's not God that's bringing condemnation when we find doubt and unbelief in our heart. That is the devil. He's trying to paralyze you. He's trying to make you feel ashamed so you don't run to God. When in fact, the very solution to doubt and unbelief is to run to God. And we'll see some scriptures on that in just a moment. So I want to get this straight in our minds right now. That when we discover that we have some doubt and unbelief in our hearts, and this is a human experience that we have all experienced, every single person, myself included, we have all went through these stages of discovering doubt and unbelief in our heart. But when we find this out, when the light of God's truth shines on our heart, God is not condemning us in this. And I want you to be free from knowing that God does not condemn you when his light of truth shines on our heart and we see that we are lacking in faith in an area Rather, that light is God's love showing us this is an area where we have opportunity to become free. And he never condemns us. In fact, he has sent Jesus to be our high priest to deliver us. So we need to rejoice when we see doubt and unbelief in our heart. And I know that seems crazy, right? When you find out you've got doubt and unbelief, you seem like, Usually the enemy wants us to feel condemned and like we're some naughty child that should go stand in the corner. But God is like, yes, they finally have seen the truth on something. And now there's potential that they can be free. You know, well, I'm getting ahead of myself here. We'll get here in a second. Mark chapter 9 
verse 23 through 24. This is part of a story of a father who had a son who was demon-possessed. And this father was absolutely frantic. And he came to Jesus and he begged him. And he said, Jesus, if you can do anything at all to help my son, please do something. Free my son. His heart was so desperate to see his child set free. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe... All things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Now, that word help doesn't mean make my unbelief stronger. It actually means deliver me. It actually means to take it away. And like this father, we can do the same thing. When we find that we are in a situation where we desperately need help and we need Jesus to move on our behalf, we can be like this man and say, help my unbelief, take it away, remove it. We can cry out just like this father that wanted so much to see Jesus move. And, and, and as, as I was dwelling on this, I thought, doesn't it make sense that the one who creates miracles is the same one that helps you believe in miracles? Doesn't that make sense? That the same one who creates miracles is the same one to help you believe in the miracles? That's how much God loves us. That's how much he wants to help us and bless us. We are the ones who initiate this change. The Father says, Lord, help my unbelief. So we're the ones, when we find out that we're in a situation where unbelief is revealed, we are the ones who change the course of our thinking. We are the ones that say, Lord, I want to believe your word. Help me to change the unbelief into belief. And so we're talking about what's in our minds. So I want us to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. And you've heard us talk about this scripture maybe before. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. When I think about the word stronghold, I get a mental picture, and I don't know about you, but I think of this mighty fortress up high on a rock. That's sort of what I think about when I think about the word stronghold that it's a place where soldiers would run into to be safe, to defend their lives against the enemy. And what we realize, what we need to realize, is in each one of us, in our minds, there is a stronghold. And there are watchers on the wall of this stronghold. Now, because we were originating in the world before we came to Christ, it's the arguments of the world and the high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God that are on the wall. Because from the beginning of time, when we were born, that's what the thought pattern was in our mind. And Paul tells us we got to cast those things down. We got to pull those things down. And we need to put a different watchman on our wall. If we're pulling down the lies, pulling down the deceit of the enemy, then what is defending our stronghold? We need to put God's word in there. That's what we need to replace. The watchers on the wall need to become God's word, defending the stronghold of our mind and of our life. And so when Paul says, pull down strongholds that are 
arguments and, and high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Bring your thoughts into captivity. You know what handcuffs are, right? When the police go after the bad guys, what do they do? They arrest them. They say, nope, you're not running around anymore. You have no freedom to run the planet. You're going in jail. And that's what we got to do with some of these thoughts. These thoughts that say, God doesn't love you. You're not going to make it through the week. You aren't going to get the money you need to repair your car. Your kid's going to be sick for two weeks out of school. When those thoughts come at us, those aren't God's thoughts, are they? We need to arrest them. Slap them in handcuffs, pull them down and say, no more. You're not watching on my wall. God's word is going to watch on my wall. God's word is going to be the stronghold that defends my life, that defends my family. We have to change how we think. We have to take responsibility for the thoughts that are running wild through our hearts and through our minds. Now, it sounds like it's easy because I just say it, right? But it's not because oftentimes fear accompanies some of these things. True fear that comes at us. But the Bible tells us that perfect love will cast out fear. And so what we need to really, really know is how deep God loves us, how wide his love is, how never-ending his love is. You never have to be afraid because God loves you and he sent Jesus. If you've, if you've trusted on Jesus, you are in the center of God's love. You have nothing to be afraid of. Don't believe those lies. Don't believe what the enemy has. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Please, Jody. Paul is writing to the Roman church and he says, I beseech you, brethren, therefore by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This transformation starts with us presenting ourselves every day. When your feet hit the floor, when your eyes open up, laying on the bed, whatever your routine is first thing in the morning, present yourself to God and say, God, here I am. Transform me. Renew my mind. Don't let the devil have a chance to work his words on you. Present yourself to God first and start your day out by presenting your God, yourself to God. And you're going to find that you will prove that God's will for you is good and acceptable and perfect. When you do this and you allow him to renew your mind, you're going to prove in your life, you're going to see God giving you beautiful things and changing the way you live. It's just who he is. Let's turn over to Romans 10, 14 through 17. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him who they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now this isn't just any kind of hearing. This is not a casual, oh yeah, I've heard that before. This hearing is the hearing of the ears on your heart. This is the hearing where you deliberately say, I am going to listen to God's message. I am going to listen to God's word. Because that's how faith comes. When we open the ears of our heart, our faith is strengthened, and we become victorious. But you have to open your ears to hear. 
So we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to spend a few minutes in here. Matthew 13 is the parable of the sower. And you've all seen, we've, we've preached on this so many different ways. But we're going to take one more look at it. Jesus is speaking and Jesus says, this is the explanation. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. And I want you to think about the word hear when you see it, when you hear with your ears. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, but yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a little while. For when tribulation and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And he becomes unfruitful. But he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. When we see the beginning of the parable, the heart does not understand it. At the end of this parable, the heart has full understanding. What we see here is a parable not about the condition of the heart, but about how the heart hears. We start out with doubt, and then we go into unbelief, and then we go into hope, and then we go into full faith. We start out in doubt. This is where this person has decided when they heard the word, nah, they've already judged it, they've already said, nah, that's, that's not true. The word of the world has become so mighty of a stronghold in them that it's really hard for the word of God to get in there. Not impossible, but hard. And then there's the person who received the word on stony places. This is the place of unbelief where you haven't just outright rejected God, but you're not sure what you believe. You're sort of like, well, maybe, hmm. I guess it's possible God could do that for me. You don't fully believe, but you're not in complete doubt where God doesn't even exist or doesn't care for you. And then we get into the heart who receives seed among thorns. This is the heart that has hope. They hear the word. They're, they're trying to grow fruit. They're trying really hard to grow fruit. They, they have hope that God's word will do something in their life. And in fact, if I understand this correctly, they have like green fruit growing on their tree. They have like little tiny green apples. That's the season of apples right now, little tiny green apples. But because the cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, choke out the word of God, that fruit falls to the ground without becoming ripe. But they had hope that God's word might work, and they were starting to bear fruit, but they didn't follow through. And, and when I look at this, I begin to think, how many of my brothers and sisters have I not paid attention when they were struggling? And I didn't encourage them to keep going, to keep going, don't give up, don't give up. And we maybe need to be aware when we hear someone say, I'm really struggling with this, that that's the point where they're at. They have hope, but they just need a little encouragement. Keep going, keep going. You're going to get there. And I want you to notice that Jesus sowed the same word on every condition of heart. He knew that the word of God is powerful, that it's alive, that it's a living force. And it has the ability to penetrate a heart that's full of doubt. It has the ability to penetrate a heart that's in unbelief. It has the ability to strengthen a heart that's in hope. The word of God is the answer to changing our hearts. It's direct. The way that we hear, you know, when we're talking about these are, are, these are the commitments of people, how they committed to hear the word of God. 
when we understand that how we commit ourselves to hear the word of God de determines the life that we live, we need to come sometime to a point of no return, a decision that says, no matter what, I am, I am all in with God. I am all in with the word of God. I am not going to give it up, not going to let the devil snatch it from me, not going to let the cares of this world take it from me. We have to come to a point of no return when we're like, I'm all in. I'm all in. My life is going to change because I am all in. The word of God is alive and powerful. It's going to change who I am. It's going to change the condition of my life. It's changed my destiny. I'm going to heaven. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You have to get to this point of no return where we say, I'm all in. I'm all in. And so we go from doubt and unbelief to hope. And we go from hope to complete faith. We don't want to draw back from God. When we draw back from God, he can't help us. We don't want to say, well, I gave that a try. When we have unbelief, there's a gap between us and God. And he can't get to us as much as he wants to run to us. You know, we, we talk about the prodigal son and how the father was watching for the prodigal son to return. How much more is our father watching us who play at his feet? But when we have unbelief, and if we fall down and get a boo-boo, he can't run to us because we don't believe he wants to. He wants to run to us. He wants to embrace us and love us and deliver us and cherish us. We don't want to let unbelief separate us. Let's turn over to Hebrews 4, 1 through 16. Paul was writing to the Hebrew church about doubt and unbelief and what to do when we find ourselves in this place. He says, therefore, since a promise remains of entering into his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains that some must enter it, those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Let's go on to the next verse. Did I just give you one through six? 16, all the way through 16. Can we do that? Thank you, love. I think I missed a one when I typed out the list. There is a rest of faith that gives us peace that is waiting for us while she's bringing this up. Okay. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, today, after such a long time, as it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered into his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and as a discerner and thoughts of the thoughts and intents of the heart. 
There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Can you hold that slide for a few minutes, Jody? This whole chapter is talking about unbelief. Okay? Isn't that what the topic was? Hearing the word of God, not hardening our hearts so that we remain in belief. (coughs) But yet, when we are tempted, Paul is giving us a solution right here. When we find ourselves in unbelief, rather than feel shame or condemnation and turn away from God, he tells us something that's radical, absolutely radical. He says, come boldly to the throne of grace. When you find you have doubt and unbelief, you know what you do? You run up to God and say, Daddy, here I am again. I'm right here, right at your feet one more time. I need help. I need your mercy. I need your grace. We just run right up to him, right at his feet and say, Daddy, here I am again. And he doesn't condemn us. Do you know what he does? He gives us Grace to help in time of need. In our time of unbelief, in our time of fear and feeling inadequate, when we feel like we're not going to make it, we run to him. He's always the solution. We run to him. And we just plant ourselves at his feet. He says, don't hesitate, come boldly. But you know, this word help, I, I wanted to find out one time, I was reading this scripture, and I'm like, what does this word help mean? What kind of help am I going to get? This is a nautical term. Paul was used to being around seafaring vessels and ports, and this word help is actually uh, the Greek word for frapping. I didn't know what frapping was, so I had to look this up. Frapping is when a sea captain believes a ship is going to be encountering storms. And they either take huge ropes or chains and they bind the hull of the ship to keep it from breaking up in the storm. So this is a word picture that Paul is giving to us that when we feel like a vessel, a ship being tossed in a storm, and we're afraid our ship is going to shipwreck, we're going to shipwreck our faith, God says, no, uh uh-uh, you come boldly to me and I'll make sure that doesn't happen. You come running to me, and I will make sure that I frap you, I wrap you, chains, rope. I am going to make sure that the hull of your ship never breaks apart. Isn't that an amazing love display? This was the word picture that Paul was painting in the Greek when he wrote this. I'm never going to let you fall. I'm never going to let you go. I'm always going to be there in the storms of your life to keep you in my arms and in my my eyes and my heart. I'm always going to be there for you. When we find ourselves within ourselves that there is doubt and unbelief and we're afraid, where do we go? What do we do? What help is there for us? God, God, the very one who asks us to believe in miracles takes care of the unbelief so we can receive the miracle. He takes care of us. We can choose to receive God's word and let it change our lives. Let's go back to John 14. I'm wrapping up here. John 14, verses 6 through 14. I want to talk about faith for just a second. Jesus was talking to Philip. 
Thomas was there. And these guys weren't quite getting it. And Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. Is that all I gave you, Jody? It's okay. <laughs> Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you've not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And, see, he didn't stop here. Whatever you ask in my name, that I might do. Is that what it says? It says that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask, well, let's qualify that. No, he didn't qualify what we asked for. Anything in my name, I will do it. You know, God is giving you a blank check. He trusts you that much that you're not going to do something that's going to violate the kingdom of heaven. He said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. I will do it. That's what Jesus said. I'm not making this up. I'm just preaching truth to you. Let's look over at uh, Luke 17, please. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. How many of us have thought, man, we just need more faith? That's not true. We've all been given the measure of faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots, be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, we've all heard that before, right? If you had faith of the size of a mustard seed kind of thing. Okay, now the next part's the part I want us to, to talk about because we never talk about this part. Verse 7, And which of you, having a servant, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he's come in from the field, Oh, come at once and sit down, because he's the servant. We don't say that to servants. But rather, will he not say to him, Prepare something for my supper. Gird yourself and serve me till I've eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, when you have done all the things which you are commanded, say, we're unprofitable servants. We've only done what was our duty to do. Does that make sense to you? Probably not looking at it at the first thought. I had to really meditate on this. And... I came to realize what Jesus was saying. They asked him, increase our faith. What Jesus was saying is, faith is your servant. Faith is your servant. You tell the servant, go do this, and he does it. Go do this, and he does it. And we have to get this in our mindset that we have authority. God gave us that authority. We have the ability to move mountains. We have the right to move mountains. And so he's saying faith is like a servant. And we speak in faith telling it to go do something. And it does it because it serves us. Now, I, I, I found it interesting that after that faith servant did what he was commanded to do, he could sit down and eat. And I think it's important that we feed our faith, don't you? Okay, so the servant needs to eat too. So remember to feed your faith in the midst of all that commanding and praying and stuff that you're going to be doing in the future. Let's take another look at this idea of sending 
a servant out to do something. Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13, and we've just got one more scripture after this. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled, and he said to those who followed him, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. What was it about the centurion that Jesus said he had great faith? He understood commanding. He understood authority. He understood that when he spoke, things happened. When you speak, things happen. When you speak the word of God, that word goes forth to accomplish what it was sent to do. That's what Isaiah 55.11 tells us. That word goes forth to accomplish what it was sent to do. God sent his word out. He gave it a task. He says, go move that mountain. And it accomplished it because that's how things work in the kingdom of heaven. One last scripture, Matthew. I think it's Matthew. Is it Mark? Mark 11. Thank you, Jody. Mark 11, 22 through 24. We're talking about having moved out of doubt, out of unbelief, into hope, and having faith that God is on our side. Jesus answered and said to his disciples, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. This is the power of sending faith. This is the power of the spoken word. God's word will literally change our hearts, change our lives, change our circumstances. We have to stop agreeing with the devil. We have to start agreeing with God and what his word says about us. So we got to replace those negative thoughts in the strongholds of our mind with the word of God so that we can get to this point where we speak to something and it moves. It's done. When we pray, we receive what we pray for so that our, our fruit in the kingdom of God just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So in summary, I'm just going to read this here. When the, trouble, when the devil tries to lay condemnation on us because of unbelief, we choose to run to God to receive grace and mercy. When we understand the need to have our hearts move into a higher realm of operating in faith, we don't condemn ourselves. We find comfort and strength and hope in God's word revealing all he's done to help us. When we desire to move in the gifts of the Spirit and work the miracles of greater things that Jesus spoke about, we choose to believe that it's the Father living inside of us that will do the greater works. When we are faced with a mountain, we place our faith in God's ability and willingness to move the mountain at our command. Greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. When our heart reveals we need more understanding of God's word, we commit our heart to pressing in, to hearing the word. We ask the Holy Spirit to give us revelation. We make the decision that we're all in. We're all in. Point of no return. We're going after God's word. It's going to be 
the foundation of our very lives. And Jesus told this parable about a house built on the sand and a house built on, on a firm foundation. And he said, it's his word that's the firm foundation that we will not be shaken when we build our lives on the word. He promises us that. So can I have the worship team come back up? And I want to confess, Isaac's been confessing over you, over us, the word of God. So if you'd stand, I just want to confess this word over you and, and we'll be dismissed then. So, Father, I thank you by the power of your word. I declare over our rock family that we no longer receive condemnation from the devil, but rather we run to God to hear his voice speaking grace and mercy over us. I declare that our rock family is moving higher into a higher level of operating in their faith. I declare that the rock family has spiritual ears to hear you speak to their hearts. I declare that we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit moving in our midst to release his gifts on our behalf. I declare that the Holy Spirit strengthens us, teaches us, tells us things to come. I declare the Holy Spirit comforts us, brings God's word to our remembrance, and releases miracle-working power of God through us. I declare that when we speak to the mountains, the mountains move because God moves them for us. I declare in every difficulty, we learn to run to God for help, believing he hears our prayers and he grants us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Next week, I'm going to follow up with about a half-hour message on the working of miracles. But I want to leave the second half hour to hearing your testimonies of the miracles that God's done in your life. So if you have something to share, try to get it down to about three minutes or so. But I want to get on tape how God has been moving throughout our lives in this body so that we can glorify him and share what he has done for us. God bless you. Have a great week.